Hello, and welcome to Successful, Single, and Not Willing to Settle, the podcast, where we show amazing women how to attract the perfect partner for them by embracing and showcasing their authenticity. Hi, everyone. It's Amy, and today we have a special guest. Her name is Yael. And she is a sex educator, researcher, and coach, and author, and the founder of Kaleidoscope Vibrations, which is a company dedicated to supporting people in finding confidence in their identities, through which they can find community and build build representation. Hi, Elle. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I am doing pretty well. Can't complain. Or I won't complain. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) Those are two very different choices. It is so true. You can always complain, but yeah. I will not. Um, so, Yael and I were talking. Well, first, why don't you tell us a little bit more? Because I gave a little brief bio in in what you do, because it's so interesting. And I think that there are definitely some listeners on here who would really benefit from from what you do. Yeah, are you there? Oh, you can't hear me? You can hear me now? I can hear you now, yeah. That's I, weird. Okay. So weird. So um, I asked you what you do, and then I, I just didn't hear you. Your yeah, I, I answered. <laughs> <laughs> and then you must have been like, where am I? <laughs> okay, so I, I will re-answer. Okay. Okay. I believe that the sense of self and confidence in self and identity is really at the intersections of all the type of work that I engage in. And so, as you said, with my company, I work on identity. And so there's identity coaching, there's publishing. But the reason for that is that I grew up on the margins of my identities and that like, I didn't feel I fulfilled those identities. I didn't feel like it was enough that I didn't count. And I Mm -hmm. think that that is a big piece of just self and that sense of self is a big piece of being able to have a positive, fulfilling, pleasurable, and confident sexual life. And so I kind of intertwine identity and identity negotiation and sense of community with the sex education work and coaching that I do. I love that. Can you tell us a little more about what you mean by like not counting, like you didn't count? Sure. So I am a white presenting Latina, half Puerto Rican, whose mother is Catholic and I am Jewish. And that's like the first part, right? Like I grew, I was born that way. And so when I would, when I went to school and I had my Latina friends and I saw on TV, I realized that everyone else looked different than I did. They were black Latinas. They were darker skinned Latinas. They were medium skinned Latinas, but none of them looked like a white girl. Um, Mm. And there are plenty of us, but that not my friend group. And in my family, the ones who looked like me, were born and raised in Spanish speaking countries. And so I felt like they counted, but I didn't quite count because I was not born in a Spanish speaking country and I presented the way that I did. And so I was confused around that and felt the need to prove myself as someone belonging to this community. And for the Jewish piece, Jewish religion goes by the mother. And since my mother is Catholic, people would tell me that I wasn't Jewish. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I've been bought mitzvahed. Judaism is a religion I chose as a child. And I don't believe in Jesus, so you can't call me Catholic. Right. (laughs) Because that's not accurate. Um, But I felt like the need to defend that. And then when I came out as queer, it took me so long because I didn't think of myself. Like, I had so many examples of gay men growing up. They were 
a lot of them in my life. So I knew what that was, but I didn't have examples of lesbians or queer women. Mm. And so I was just like, well, I'm not a gay man and I'm not a lesbian. So I guess like, I'm, I'm just like, not really straight, but ish. <laughs> right. And so and kind of so all true. that. It's so true that when, you know, growing up, there's much more representation of, um, you know, a, a vast number of genders. Like I'm watching, um, did you watch Shira when you were younger? No, I don't know what that is. Okay. So there was a ca- cartoon called Shira and He-Man. They were like, Shira was like the female version of He-Man, but they rebooted it recently and I'm watching it with my son. And like, there is a, there's a vast amount of, I mean, not a vast, but like a decent representation of different gender identities in the, in that show. And I'm just like, this is amazing, but we didn't have that growing up. Definitely not. I agree with you. Um, And for gender, I felt, I actually, I would say even in gender, I was a little confused. I feel very confident identifying as a woman, but I was never quite sure about my biological sex. I was convinced Mm. that because I didn't fulfill what I was told a female body should do, I definitely fulfilled parts of it, right? I, I, I menstruate, for example, which is definitely considered a female biological, what have you. But I was like, oh, I might be intersex because of the way that my body responds to exercise or the way that my emotional response time it you know like just all these like weird things around how we've been socialized to understand biology um influence my understanding of like maybe i'm also not female yeah i think that's really you know to whatever extent or version we've we have been given what being female means and i think most of us don't fit that <laughs> you know it's it there's a lot of variation but we're given like a very static version of what it means to be female Um, yeah there are plenty of women who do have vaginas and were born with them who might not menstruate right because they're they don't have enough body weight or they might be intersex or they're too young or too old right they've pre-menstruation or post-menstruation or like the idea of being able to have babies and some people like they're just their bodies won't have them or they're had their uterus removed or they're women with penises. And so there's like so many ways that these things get misconstrued or uh, assumptions create basis of how we understand things that really limit our, our ability to connect. Absolutely. And yeah, it certainly wasn't being spoken about in media or really anywhere. Like we weren't guided at all, I feel like, um, younger. It wasn't an open conversation to really explore where we are or admit where we were um, if it didn't fit that norm. Totally agree. Um, and what comes with that is that kind of like shame or like secretiveness, you know? So I love what you're doing because it really feel like it normalizes and opens up being able to, to explore who you actually are and, and at least, you know, start and continue the process of, of embracing that and, you know, accepting it and being like, this is who I am, you know? Um, I appreciate appreciate your use of the word explore. And Mm. I think that that's another thing that that does, in fact, lead to issues in that queer people, trans people, non-binary people are all expected to find and discover themselves as outside of cis straight or cisgendered, which is um, identifying with the gender that you were assigned at birth. 
straight people. So like the, this, the idea that like, if you are not quote unquote normative, then you must discover your identity and you have to prove that that identity is real as opposed to this idea of we are, we are human and we will discover all of us at some point, whether what our genders are, what our sexualities are. Like it's not something that straight people know when they're born. It's something that they learn, but we don't think of it that way because there's so much representation of that. Yeah. And I feel like the ability or the want to, to figure it out is really for everybody else's comfort. <laughs> like they want to yeah. know. Yes. Yes. This fascination to put a name on it. Yeah. And we want to, we get the pressure to know so we can put everybody else at ease, but giving ourselves the right to just be like, I'm just figuring, I'm figuring it out. Like I'm not putting myself into that box um, mm -hmm. can be very freeing. Yes. Yes. And I think it's freeing for people who do in fact end up identifying as cisgender people or as straight to also be able to say, I get to explore all the pieces of me. And if I discover I don't like something, then I don't like it. And that's fine. But it's not because I, you know, the, the default is this identity. It's that I, I too, like others came to here, came to this space through exploration and trial and error and figuring out where I lie. Yeah, and I remember I have had conversations with um, with people before, and I feel like we've made some strides, but in, you know, in the, and I don't know what you think about this, but my thought was that women had more room to explore, at least when I was For growing sure. up, than men did. For because sure, because with women, but biphobia exists no matter what, but with women, there's this sense of you can engage with women and that is considered a phase and it's fine. But a, a man who engages with a man is automatically gay. Right. Right. And, there, and that's not true. <laughs> I know straight men who have experimented and been like, you know what? It's really not for me. Like, could I do it? Sure. Right. Like, <laughs> sex is sex. But it, that's not who I'm attracted to as other men. And so they're like, I just stick with women. Right. But for some people, that would mean they're gay because they tried. Right. And they explored. Whereas with women, I, and this is a point that some folks make that if it's not centered around men as the central point of sexuality, then it doesn't count. And so women can have all this experience with women. But if they go back to a man, they're still going to be assumed to be straight mm. because the idea is that men are the sexual being to be with. Like, that's who you're seeking. Interesting. So we get to explore, but it's, it's discounted. Yes. Yes. Unless you decide to become a, unless you're like a gold star lesbian, right? Quote unquote, that you only right. have ever slept with people who are women or yeah. That's really interesting. So today we're going to be talking about when, when Yael and I were speaking the last time before we actually got on to this podcast, our pre-talk, we were talking about how we're represented in the media or if we're not being represented, you know, growing up in the media and the two of us are Jewish. So yes. we got into the conversation of the nanny, which I think expands beyond Judaism because there's like, there's a huge um, sexual component to Fran specifically. Yeah. And mom. <laughs> like not just Fran. Yeah. But, um, and there were a lot of things. So we went back and, and watched, an episode or two, and we're going to jump in and kind of talk about how this show spoke to us 
when we were younger and now looking at it, you know, through fresh eyes, um, what we notice because we talk a lot about how when we're younger, this media comes in and our brain just makes sense of it. And Mm -hmm. when you go back and look at it, you could be like, Oh my God, I totally thought this. And this is, you know, not accurate or, or it helped me in a certain way. And this is how it helped. Mm -hmm. So, so you said for Fran, Fran for you specifically gave you some like representation of Judaism. So what did you get from her? Yeah, I felt like, (laughs) so Fran to me was super helpful in that I am a Jew from Queens, New York. Mm -hmm. I, I felt like she understood that space. She wasn't a, she wasn't the kind of Jewish that's often represented and nothing wrong with that, but Orthodox and Hasidim where it's this very specific sect of folk who engage in a very specific culture, some of whom don't engage in secular life. And Fran was super secular, secular and she ate pork. And because right. of my mother being a Puerto Rican Catholic, like that was a rule that we were allowed to eat anything because seafood and pork are very important parts of a Puerto Rican diet. And so like that, that to me was just like, yes, I get to be Jewish and I get to eat pork and I get to be sexy because my sensuality and sexuality have always been such an important part of my life. And she gave me all of those things. I she, loud and sassy and responsive and just, yeah, I, I really appreciated having that as a representation. That's so interesting. And I love this because I talk a lot about, um, perspective, how two people can experience the same thing and get different messages, right? So my experience with, with friend, I love that too. I mean, I, I separate from you, my upbringing was Long Island. So there were a lot of Jewish people. (laughs) Like I was, it was pretty normal. Um, I, I think I grew up in a decent bubble and it was for the most part, pretty secular Jews. Um, it mm-hmm. wasn't like a Hasidic or a modern Orthodox or Orthodox community. It was really like we all got bat mitzvahed and bar mitzvahed, but really mainly because of the party that was attached to it. You know, we went to Hebrew school because we kind of had to, but there wasn't. I remember like on the high holy days, my mom driving to temple and then like parking because you're not supposed to drive on, on high holy days. For those of you who are listening, don't know you're supposed to walk to temple she would drive and like park like four blocks away and I would be like god can see you (laughs) who are you like what what, like who do you think you're tricking like it's god here you know um so like but it's the community yeah exactly and like exactly so it was much more uh cultural um norm not really it wasn't there wasn't the religious side of it it was really much more cultural and like like you said we ate whatever we wanted to eat um, we're like the Jews that like, you know, Chinese food on Christmas Jews, like that yeah. whole, you know, that's a great song. Yeah. So when, so Fran definitely represented that and, and that Queens accent is very similar to the Long Island accent because most people in, on Long Island, it came from like Brooklyn, Bronx and Queens. Like they, they mm-hmm. came over from there. So, um, that accent was was definitely, you know, a representation. Um, what's interesting is that her, it's not her flirtiness that that stuff didn't, it wasn't that, but what I really picked up on, because I had a lot of where I felt like I didn't fit in was 
um, my body shape. And I had a lot of mm. stuff in my head around what I physically looked like because I was, I was curvier and I got my period earlier than other people. And, you know, I, I just wasn't that like beanpole look and she was. So that really affected me, I think negatively because she was considered so attractive and she like yeah. men just like flocked to her, but she was like very skinny. Um, yeah. And that made me feel some shame around my curviness. And her mom, who was curvier, was, like, always on a diet. Yes. No, that's true. They're concerned around diet. So that, if anything, that made me feel even more connected. Um, in, my, in my, particularly in the Puerto Rican family, there is a, a big value placed on body. And we are supposed to be petite and curvy. Mm. And so the idea was small little waist and hefty hips and butt. And I was born that way. And I also got my period early. So I was a, a very teeny tiny little human, not five foot tall. And I was, I had a full booty and hips. And I look like a woman from behind that was just very, that was particularly short. And the idea of dieting, if you didn't fit the thin ideal was in fact, not something I believe in, but was something that was talked about in my family. Like my, my abuela, who, uh, my grandmother didn't diet, uh, didn't exercise. If she gained any weight, she just ate salads for a while. And mm -hmm. my mother did, in fact, exercise like an hour or two a day. Um, it was important to her to maintain herself physically healthy, but she would complain. And she ate. She eats just fine. She eats like very good meals. But she would complain about the fact that her body was no longer. She was a model when she was younger. And by the time she was in her 40s, she had had three children and was no longer in model, normative model shape. So for me, it was like, oh, yes, this is like even more representative because you have the people as they're getting older, putting on weight and being obsessive, to, almost obsessive to a point about what body shape they should have so that it should still be curvy and petite. And then France specifically, like she wore such tight things and so did I. And she had what's called like hip dips, which is when your the space going down from the top of your hips, like where your waist is down towards the fatty parts of your thighs, like there can sometimes be a little natural dip. And that was something that gave me a lot of self-consciousness. I was like, why isn't it just like full? Why does it look mm -hmm. like someone carved a hole out of my thigh? <laughs> <laughs> and she wore all these really tight skirts that made it very clear that she had hip dips. And even though that didn't solve my issue, I was still like concerned about my own cellulite and about my hip dips, whatever. But it, it was like, okay, but she's proudly flaunting this piece of her body, which means that it is something that can be flaunted, even if I'm having trouble recognizing that. I love that. I love that, um, that that did that for you. I filled out in like my, my chest, like I was like five foot two in fifth grade with like a full, a full rack. <laughs> so, you know, it was definitely different. I think it did normalize the the dieting culture, it's just, mm -hmm. it's, it reinforces something that I, I find like unhealthy. Upsetting. Yeah. And, and sad really to, to yeah. be a woman. And because there's this norm, we have to like hate our bodies always, you know, until we like basically are depriving ourselves to, to a certain extent. And, you know, there's, there's, there's such a physical element 
around it and our identities of being accepted and being considered beautiful is is really hard to attain or to like really Mm -hmm. you know um and that I felt was definitely represented represented in the show um but as a young person so now I can look at it and be like oh my god it's being represented that's that's totally what it was like like my mom is never happy with her with her body shape and she'll look Mm -hmm. back on other pictures and she'll be like oh my god I was so skinny there and I really hated myself even there you know yeah um so I can see that now, but as a young person watching it, it was just reinforcing of course. the idea that I had to have a certain shape to be accepted. No, I think I think that makes total sense. In fact, the, the most recent episode I did watch, she mentions the fact that, like, I think Maggie says that she's depressed and can't eat. And Fran goes, "Ugh, I wish depression had that effect on me. Yes, yes, with the Malamars. <laughs> yes, and so it she re- all the time talks about food and the hips and the like adding on. And yet I'm pretty sure she's like someone who eats very regularly, very well <laughs> throughout the entire series. Right. She's, she enjoys her food. Like that same episode, someone brought her pork ribs as a bribe and she was like, great. Right. Like she, right. <laughs> and at no point do you get the impression that she is either anorexic or bulimic. So she, is engaging in that culture of, yes, I'm going to be self-deprecating. And also she continues to eat the things that she enjoys, but that is a problem in that, like she, like you said, is very thin. And so she has that ability because she has a very fast metabolism, at least from the portrayal of the character. Exactly. And that was, that was, I did not have that. So I had like my friends even growing up who really had that, at least when they were younger, you know, where they, it's seemingly, I would say, could eat anything and just burn it off. And I, you know, from a very young age had to watch. So mm-hmm. it became to me like, yes, sure, you can eat junk food if you're skinny when you eat junk food. Yeah. Um, and that was just something that I had to work through. But I, it was interesting watching it now and seeing it like, oh, yeah, that was reinforced there. So like mm-hmm. her, I, I skipped to a different episode at one point And like one of the first scenes is like, her mom sitting in front of like this giant cake and like all these like pastries keep coming in. And it was like this big joke that the mom was like on a diet and like, couldn't eat any of it. Right. And she was, and it was like, you know, the soundtrack track of laughter in the background. she's like, Oh, you know, like wanting to eat it. And I was like, that's, that's what, that is a hundred percent what I grew up around. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, yeah. Very sad, super representative, (laughs) but not necessarily of the thing you want. I, I just saw a video um, that I'm going to share soon, I think, on my, on my uh, company Instagram, where it's a young black man talking about what he wants to see. He's like, I don't want any more slave uh, movies. I don't want any more civil rights movies. Like, he's like, I don't want any more movies that are representing black people in struggle because we are black at different times. Mm. Right. He's like, I want movies that are like growing up stories and facing challenges stories. Yes. But facing challenges because we are human beings in this world and we are black, but not because like during this time period, this is what would happen because of this identity. And I I think that's like interesting point, too. Right. We want to be represented, but we don't want to just be represented for the things that we are most known for. We don't want to just be represented for the things that are the hardest in our lives. Um we also want to have the opportunity to just be humans with our identities and not to be representing a whole people. Yeah, absolutely. I think 
that's where we're kind of breaking and we would normalize um, our differences. You know, I feel like this is, there's a, you know, Jews are represented in like Holocaust movies or yeah. have very strong, you know, Queens accents or, you know, so there's, there's a lot of different, I, I, I love that that was said there and we'll definitely put your um, Insta into our show notes so our listeners can find it when it's up. Hi guys, it's Amy. It's time for a sponsor break. We'll be back very, very shortly. See you then. Hi, this is Amy. Are you successful, single, and not willing to settle? Are you ready to end the relationship patterns that you've fallen into once and for all? Are you ready to hold on to that self-love you know you have outside of a relationship, even when you're dating or in a relationship? If you're ready, Jen and I have a special announcement for you. We are offering a three-module course on doing the inner work now, before going out to your next relationship, so you can break those patterns of picking the wrong guy or acting like someone you don't even recognize when you're with someone else. And for a limited time, we're offering all of this gold for just $37. I'm telling you, this work that we do with our high ticket clients is priceless, but we know that we're all stuck inside right now and we know that we're hurting and maybe you've decided to put dating on hold for a little while, but this is actually the best time for you to be focusing on your number one and that is you. So grab hold of this program now before prices go up. Give yourself the gift of focusing on you ending those old thought patterns and get ready to show who you really are to those who are lucky enough to meet you. Go to www.successfulsinglefemale.com slash programs and click on the program, get ready for the next relationship, the inner work, or you can click on successful single and not willing to settle at the bottom of our show notes. And that will take you to the program as well. Grab it while it's hot, ladies. Take some time to take care of you See so when we can finally open up the doors and go back out dating, you are ready to roll. Yeah, it was a very powerful little clip with two two young men. But That's I do think awesome. the nanny is a mix of that, right? The nanny like maintained plenty of stereotypes about Jews. For sure. And also represented Jews in a way that I think is rarely represented, particularly at that time. So it was it was a yes and no uh, type of show with definitely some very unhealthy aspects, as you were pointing out. But some others that were, you know, I think pushed a non-normative envelope. Yeah, and I love that it did that for you. Like, again, I, I had a huge amount of Jewish representation just around me. In fact, it was like um, almost confusing when I was going to leave there and go into other places that I was, you know, I was actually told to be careful, you know, that people won't like me because I'm Jewish and people are going to have these assumptions. Like they're going to think I have horns, like crazy stuff. I was told. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was very protective. It was very because out of fear. Right. Um, so that I, I think I took a lot of the, the, um, 
representation of the nanny almost for granted because it was just, it was my everyday life that I was just around um, people who were kind of like that. What I Mm -hmm. would say is that I think what I did feel like I broke away from, I remember being younger and taping my voice and hearing the Long Island accent in it. And I was like, oh gosh, like I don't want that anymore. And like retraining my voice so I wouldn't have it as distinctively as I had it before. So it's interesting that Queens Long Island accent, there's something, and she does get this. She gets the, you know, the assumption that she's not smart. Yes. From that too, which I thought is another interesting stereotype that like, if you're pretty or you wear certain clothes or you have a certain accent, then, then you can't possibly be intelligent. And we see that when she's compared to Cece, who's Mm -hmm. like, a in every suit she's wearing is like covered head to toe. Like I don't know. <laughs> like and it's like all dark colors. There's nothing bright about it makes her. Makes me wonder she's if she is the modest because of religious reasons, because of the way that they wardrobed her. So interesting. For religious reasons? Yeah, I mean like she like you said, she's covered head to toe. Her wrists tend to be covered, her mm-hmm. legs tend to be covered like she might in fact be a Muslim or Jewish woman <laughs> following. I don't think she was, but like, you know, she fulfilled most of the rules of both of those religions insofar as modest dress. So. So interesting. And yeah, and her accent is like almost British, but not, it's very like hoity, toity sounding. And I was just like, yeah. that is such an interesting foil for Fran. Mm-hmm. Um, they just have her like completely opposite of each other. And she's the one who is represented as having like a career and being more intelligent. Um, She's also represented as being just more like kind of blocked and, and not as like natural as a human. Mm -hmm. So there's something lovable about Fran that, that Cece doesn't have. Um, But I don't know if they make her seem more intelligent. They make it seem that Cece sees herself as more intelligent but I never mm. doubted Fran's intelligence. She's like very, she's very good at responding to scenarios. She's very good at figuring out how to solve problems. Like, I think that they created a caricature of this character who also, in fact, proves herself to be very adept and very creative and very responsive and empathetic. And that the 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 comparison to Cece is that Cece sees herself having some of these skills and like really doesn't despite the pedigree. Totally, totally agree that, that we, that they go on as a show to show that those assumptions are not accurate. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely agree with that. It's just interesting how, how they set it up. Yeah. The, the setup for it. Um, again, with the assumption, I mean, I wonder how much watching a show like that, I don't remember if there's a direct correlation and me hearing my Long Island accent and attaching it to like not sounding intelligent Um, Or, like, I wouldn't be taken seriously if I had it. Um, To be fair, most accents outside of a North American or Midwestern, North North Midwestern accent are considered accents that denote less intelligence. And that people will assume, if you have a Southern accent, a Bronx accent, a Brooklyn accent, a New Yorker accent, any accent that is not a native English-speaking accent that isn't British, because British Mm -hmm. then gets back to intelligence, like... Those are all assumed. Any sort of vernacular is just always um, has this negative connotation that is inaccurate of a lack of intelligence. So interesting. And to think back, like, 
before I could stand back again and realize this is what's happening, that I'm being forced to change and put myself in a box. So I'm seen a certain way by other people. Um, before realizing I was doing that, I was already doing that. And that's mm-hmm. what a lot of what we coach with our, with our clients is that we are, we're just, we're bombarded with these messages and boxes that we're supposed to put ourselves in and the beautiful freedom of, um, I mean, it happens more for me in, in adulthood, but getting to the place where you're like questioning that and then determining what you want to do, but with open eyes, as opposed to just adhering to be able to essentially become lovable, you know? I think it's also interesting the considering the combination of home and media learning and how those things intersect. Cause as you were talking before, I was like, damn, was the nanny my like heroine of that era? <laughs> <laughs> because when you when you talked about that, like not necessarily being seen as intelligent because of the way that she dressed and the way that she spoke. And I think back on a situation that I've been referencing recently of I remember being 12 years old, going to camp in a shirt that barely covered my little tiny breasts. I, I got my breasts at nine, but they were small. And so at 12, they were still small. Um, and the top was really, really short. And I, I was confident in my outfit because A, I loved how I looked in it. But B, I was like, this is a choice that I make. This is how I'm dressing. And anyone who chooses to judge me based off of my dress in a negative way is someone not worth my time, right? Because they're superficial. They're using superficial reasons to decide if I'm intelligent or worthy or kind. And that was an intentional decision 11. And the camp made me cover up. They gave me a t-shirt. But I think that might be related, right, to, to the fact that my mother, my mother let me leave the house that way because she was, thought it was fine. She thought it was fine for me to express my sensuality, to show my body and to do the things that made me feel good. And I saw that on the nanny, that she got to do it and it was fine. And it did not, in fact, have any bearing on the kind of person that Fran was. Um, and so I think that that mixture of interpretation and media, like I could have easily interpreted it the way that you did if I had had a different uh, navigation of that, of that idea. Yeah, I love that. And again, there, there goes that perspective. So I think that's the combination of the media and the messages you were getting at home. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. our society, I mean, I've, uh, this is always fascinating to me that, you know, the, how taboo having sexual conversations or even body positive conversations. Like you want to say to, we want to say to our girls like that you're beautiful and and everything. But at the same time, we're like, you can't go out like that. Like what, you know? Um, (laughs) Right. Exactly. So like it's a mixed message. Um, And I even grapple with it. I have a hard time um, making sense of it because there are pieces where I, I don't want it to be at the, like my, my body to be at the forefront of a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that, but, I, but where does that come from? Like, why, why would it be, you know, and how much does it have to do with me and how much does it have to do with the other, the other person? But I love that your mom allowed that of you, but meanwhile, then you go to like a public, you go to camp and they're like covering you up and sending you different messages. Yeah, but to me, and I was a rebellious child, to me, I was like, now you're the problematic piece in this space, right? You're choosing what a young woman can wear. 
And so my reaction wasn't, there's something wrong with what I'm wearing. The reaction was, there's something wrong with the way that you're handling the scenario. And I love that. I, I definitely, I was rebellious also. Maybe that's why when I spoke to you, I was like, oh yeah, we got to do, we got to do this episode. <laughs> um, I was rebellious in terms of like what fashion looked like. Like I went on like the cusp or like how I was supposed to act as a woman. Like I was never quiet, demure. Like I remember friends saying like, if you want a boy to like you, you know, you shouldn't completely be yourself. They would say this in one way or another too quickly. Cause like, you might not terrible. like that. I know. And I was like, that's just ridiculous. Like, and I always said that. And even in my religion, going to Hebrew school, I was the one who was raising my hand and being like this. I don't understand why this, like, why mm-hmm. can't we write the name God down? Like, why can't, you know, asking a lot of questions. Um, but... Although I would say Judaism supportive of that reform and conservative spaces are very supportive of asking those questions. At least mine were. Yeah. I, so I was, I brought, was brought up conservative, which is like the step up from reform. Um, and I remember even the dogma that was there when I was growing up was, was too intense for my blood. Um, Mm. I've since gone to reform and, and been able to experience that, which is also interesting because I was, my family was not conservative, but like, that was where I think my parents' friends were, Mm. or like it was the, you know, it wasn't, you didn't choose what temple you went to based on what your belief system was. It, again, it was a cultural decision, um, at least in my household it was. So yeah, so I even felt conservative. Like now when I go to, if I go to a service and it's reform, um, reformed, then I feel way more comfortable. Um, yeah. Or even better, like a non-secular, like I like that, that, that we have those different levels. But when I was rebelling you know, around other people, what I've determined, what I figured out is some of that rebelling was also because I just knew that if I tried or I had convinced myself that if I tried to wear what the other like skinny girls were wearing, then it would be very, very clear that I wasn't matching up to them. So I just went completely left, you know, and like wore like these other things. So I could be like, I'm not even trying to be like you. Yeah. Like self-confidence building and also a defense mechanism. Yeah, it was both at the same time. So I had this whole identity of like, I and my mind was, you know, um, anti-establishment. Like that was where my mind was. But I think a lot of that actually stemmed from the fact that I just looked around and knew that I didn't fit into whatever this was supposed to look like. Um which is like beneficial and I don't know, this is the nanny, right? So it's like a beneficial and also kind of unfair, suffocating kind of way at the same time. It's Mm -hmm. both. Random, but I was reminded of, I think it's a quotation by Cher, something along the lines of women dress for themselves first, then for Mm. other women and then for men. This idea that your friends were like, oh, you're never going to get a man and you're choosing to, to be in opposition of what other women or young girls were wearing and to do you right. And that, like, I think that falls well in there that uh, the way that we choose to, to present ourselves is about us. And then the people that are most likely going to judge us, which are other women. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I know the men are like, are definitely like out in terms of what really, what, how we pick our outfits. It's definitely, I agree with that. 
I agree with Cher. (laughs) But we should come first. And that's where, so part of our, part of what we talk about is, is style. And I know Jen's not on here, but she's the, the stylist of our company but it's all about like who are you like what makes Mm -hmm. you feel badass and like sexy and you know amazing so that when you walk into a date you feel you are exuding that energy you know when you walk in there and it has very little to do with like the rules you know it has Mm -hmm. very much to do with like what what feeds you what feels right on you yeah, I say that like one of my sexiest, I feel sexiest right after a haircut when my head, my side shave is fresh and it's like really, really short and I feel like somewhat masculine and I pair it with a nice pair of earrings. I'm just like, yeah, I have this like masculine femme androgynous like sexy appeal right now. <laughs> I love that. So yeah, and it's figuring that out because I think we, again, are um, bombarded with like what we're supposed to look like or what we're supposed to wear and being able to explore like where how do I feel because there Mm -hmm. are definitely some rules that if I wore them and how I feel about you know what are the parts of me that I want to play up and what are you know that I'm going to be able to walk into a room and not be adjusting anything and I you know for me I feel the best when like I don't even really think about what I'm wearing so if I'm wearing like I would never I hate wearing outfits where I have to wear a strapless bra because Oof. although it might look good, I'm I'm fidgeting with the bra the entire time, and I'm too aware of yes of what I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. I've got a uh, small breast privilege and don't wear bras. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. I'm yeah, very it, jealous. <laughs> it took a while to get used to nipples, but once I was like, nipples are just nipples, and they're okay. And like that society had trained me very well on that there was something wrong with the nipples. I'd yell at my mother who wore the thin types of bras, like mom people can see your nipples. And she's like, what the hell do I care? And now as an adult, I'm like, what the hell do I care? <laughs> They're just Yes, <laughs> I love that. That freedom. Mm-hmm. Yes, and accepting, like, that's part of us. That's our body. Like, what, you know, why? I don't know. That, that is a really important norm, I think, to, to point out. Um, there was a long time of very serious shaming around, around that. Yeah, and I, I don't think you're alone in that. Um. And that's interesting. The same thing with me having a larger chest is just coming to terms with like, this is how my body, you know, I don't know, developed itself, Mm -hmm. you know, but there's a lot of, there's been a lot of times where I'm, I have to come to terms with it because I feel like in my head, my personality is more small boob. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I want to be able like, wear a tank top with no, you know, a spaghetti strap tank top with no bra on, but that's just not the shape that I am. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I feel like I definitely internally identify more with somebody who could do that. Um, so coming to terms with the fact that that's not the shape that I'm, that I have has been a struggle. Oh, well, that's fair. I, I, it's an interesting way to think about it, that that's the type of energy or... <laughs> Yeah, I definitely have small boob energy. <laughs> I, I love like the that. The older I get, I get more like, okay, wait, this isn't something to be ashamed of. Like if I, no. uh, and I've learned to embrace it more. Um, but younger, again, because they're, I think it was more about my body shape in general, that like these were like big balls of fat on, you know, the surface of my body. And like, what does that mean? And, you know, there was a lot of shame with, with having 
fat in general. Whereas like as a smaller person, like I loved my butt because it was big and it took me a while to love my breasts because I was like, well, these could be fattier. (laughs) Why aren't you matching the fat content of my butt? (laughs) Right. And I think that's also, you know, the cultural mixture that you had to where you, there was just a more embracing side of like having curves where I feel like in, I mean, I don't think it's just the Jewish community. It was like the Jewish Long Island community. Um, the expectation was much more like beanpole, super skinny, um, was was what we were all going for. You know, and if you had that, you had like a leg up. Yeah, I mean, it's not just in like the Long Island Jewish community. There's a lot of, I think, anorexia within the Jewish community because that is a very, very widely... Uh, held belief that thin is better Mm -hmm. and and not even in the just in the jewish community but like in the united states in general you know (laughs) there's a lot of that i grew up with j-lo what'd you say i grew up with j-lo right Mm -hmm. in new york puerto rican and so i think that the the timing i was born in 1990 the timing of my birth and the popularization of j-lo's body was really convenient because to me i was like well she's the ideal of beauty um, I love that. Yeah. So, so I, I didn't like, consider anyone else. <laughs> I was like, she's right? the one of my goals. <laughs> That's amazing. So is there anything else you wanted to share or mention um, to our listeners or how, how they can find you? Sure. So I am Yael the Sex Geek on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as my main space. My website is sexpositiveview.com, and I will soon be releasing my first online webinar freebie, as well as a couple of paid courses. And so feel free to check that out. Um, and for anyone interested in, in, the, in potentially publishing to increase representation of narratives or identity coaching or workshops around inclusivity and uh, Inclusivity and recognition representation in workspaces. There is kvibrations.com for that information. I love it. And like I said before, we will put all those links in our show notes. So if you're driving and hearing this, you could definitely check that out and we'll have that for you. Um, thank you so much, Yael, for coming on and chatting. It was really like, you, nice to hear your perspective and to hear what you're doing. I feel like we're, you know, anyone who's doing anything in terms of empowerment and identity and authenticity, I feel like it's like a sister warrior. So I love that to connect with you and hear what you're up to. I agree. And I, and I love hearing the, your perspective of the nanny and to see how, how incredible it is that we can have such different um, takeaways as children. And then also as adults, it's so important just as a reminder about how perspectives work. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Well, thank you, y'all. Have a great day. You too, Amy. Speak to you soon. Okay. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Successful, Single, and Not Willing to Settle, the podcast. Can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Successful Single Female. Check out our website at www.successfulsinglefemale.com or check us out on YouTube at Successful, Single, and Not Willing to Settle. Have a wonderful day and don't forget to not settle.